0: Welcome to The Shmooze. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Ruth Zuckerboard and Elliot Isbon. Ruth and Elliot are brother and sister and are the children of Yiddish writer and journalist Samuel Isbon. Ruth was born in Palestine, and Elliot was born in New York. Ruth came to America with her mother and older brother in 1939, one year after her father arrived in the States. Arriving in the States, one year later... Samuel Esban established himself as a journalist and sent for the family. Ruth and Elliot recently published Illegal Jews, Part of the Seas, written by their father and translated from the Yiddish by Daniel Kennedy. Welcome, Ruth and Elliot.
1: Welcome. Thank Thank you. you.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining me today um, and also for introducing us to what is really um, a wonderful work and one that we're delighted that you translated. Elliot, it was really great to meet you. I know that you visited the Yiddish Book Center a few weeks ago, and I had the pleasure of bumping into you. And Ruth, I'm glad that you're able to join us today for the podcast. So to get started, I wondered if you would talk a little bit about your father, your family, and and the connection to Yiddish. And I'm going to let you bat it back and forth as to who, because you're in two different locations. So I'll let you figure out who's going to speak first.
2: Okay. You want me to do it, Elliot, or you?
1: Yes, go ahead.
2: Okay, Um, so our dad uh, was a um, very prolific journalist and author of 16 novels. And I don't know how many are available at the Yiddish Book Center. I don't think you have all of them. I have some more, and I'd be happy to let you have them. Um, He was a staff writer for three different Yiddish newspapers, the last one being the uh, Jewish Daily Forward, where he was a very well-established uh, writer. But we uh, decided that to take on a project, which was a book that we think is very relevant today. Um, what It's called Illegal Immigrants Part the Seas, in Yiddish, Umla Legale Yiden Spalten Yaman. We decided to take this project on because... Um, we thought it was relevant uh, because of the situation today and uh, the, uh, current, the current uh, anti-Semitism that's growing in the country. And we think it's a very, very important part of uh, Jewish history. And I think the world should know about it. Elliot, you want to interrupt me?
1: No, I don't want to interrupt you. I've been <laughs> doing
2: that all my life. <laughs> okay, go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to tailgate on what Ruth said um that particular book was uh one of uh many that he had written but it was really a series of articles as he went undercover on a ship that was transporting survivors from world war ii from the holocaust from europe into uh palestine which was a british mandate at the time and While the British publicly said, well, we definitely want a homeland for the Jewish people, they did everything they could to blockade these ships and call them illegal, which is why my father, when he wrote this book, was so emphatic about how dare you call uh, these survivors and Holocaust survivors who've lost everything and were decimated call them illegal. That was outrageous to him. And so we decided we would keep that name and hopefully to the relevance. It actually was written as an expose. It was written and published in 1947. And it was, as I said, a condensation of all these articles that he would send back weekly in an undercover operation that was sponsored by the Haganah at that time. The, uh, the ship was ultimately captured by the British, and uh, they could not get through the blockade, although many did, and it, they were put into detention centers. My father in the book called them concentration camps, which is how outraged he was. He, of course, was let go, ultimately, be, as an American citizen. But the plight of Jewish people and what the British were doing at that time was really the impetus for him to do this expose and to alert the world jewry about what was going on in in uh with these uh ships that were that were trying to get in past the blockade This was written uh, I think ten or eleven years before uh, Leon Uris wrote Exodus. So right. it's an ey- eyewitness account. And, and, uh, we were thrilled because it was the first time we got the flavor of his writing. The translator, Danielle Kennedy, did an unbelievable job and many people have read it, are, are really issuing numerous accolades on how good it was done.
2: You know, uh, Uh, just to uh, uh, comment again about the book Exodus that was written uh, 10 years after my dad wrote his book. Um, Don't forget that Exodus was an international bestseller because it was written in English and my dad's book, and it had a huge audience. My dad's book was written in Yiddish and of course it had a minuscule audience in comparison. But he was there first with an eyewitness account. And yours's book was embellished. It was a novel. It wasn't the real, real deal. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But, um, and and it, uh, one thing that it's interesting, though, because of the book Exodus becoming a huge bestseller and an interesting, beautiful movie, um, it, it, um, it developed an, a huge interest in American Jewry wanting to um, associate more with Israel. And the tourist industry was imploded at that time. It just, everybody wanted to go to Israel. They read the book and it was a beautiful story. And uh, that book really helped Israel uh, a lot. It was good publicity.
1: I I think in many ways, just to tailgate on that, is um, it was instrumental in alerting to Jews, how important it was for the creation of a state of Israel. So I think it contributed to the sentiment. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about that in a couple of with a couple of different questions for you. I mean, one, what I find really interesting is that your father was dispatched to cover this story as a journalist would be. Um, and I'm going to read just a, a, a quick paragraph, if I may. And um, and then I'm going to ask you a little bit about this on the, on the tail end of it. So this is um, the beginning of the plane journey to Europe chapter. It's Sunday evening. I'm in New York on my way to the airport where a plane is waiting to take me to one of Europe's capitals. There I will get an opportunity to see how the uprooted Jews from the camps are grouped and sorted before being placed on the so-called, quote, illegal ships which from now on will form an unbroken chain streaming like sea caravans towards Palestine. It's pretty dramatic that we are along with him on this journey in this book and that it is a firsthand journalistic account. I wonder if you were old enough to remember him going and, and what your thoughts were and, and, and how he conveyed this back to you uh, as
2: kids. Okay, um, Elliot, of course, wasn't born yet. <laughs> um, I was born. Oh, you were, you were, I'm but you were, you were how old? old. <laughs> okay, I was 10. But I do remember, what I do remember- No, we'll
1: do the math now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. I am older. I was 10. And what I do remember is how frantic my mom was because the second part of the book was, was really interesting. He, when he was taken off the ship, with the refugees, they were all taken to Cyprus and put in detention camps. And my dad had so much difficulty getting in touch with the American consulate or the Jewish agency or his family. He had a family in Tel Aviv. He had a family in New York. He had a newspaper. They, The British were horrible. They refused to let him contact anybody. He was, he was um, in a detention camp first for two days in in Cyprus, then he was shipped to Haifa. In total, he was there 11 days.
1: Along with 1,500 passengers.
2: Yeah, well, the passengers remained in in Cyprus. He was taken to uh, Haifa and interrogated by the British there. They refused to let him see anyone. Finally, he had passed a letter to somebody who came, I don't know, it was somebody that was living in Haifa, uh, somebody that came to visit somebody in the prison. And that letter eventually got to someone at the Jewish agency. They were able to uh, contact the Jewish agency. They sent a lawyer. And my dad was able to, through this lawyer, get in touch with the American consulate and his family. But he, he, he was not allowed to see his family um, only one day before he was deported. And that was horrible because he, he had a mom, an aging mother there, and um, he doesn't even describe it well because it was too painful for him. So that was something. And um, the, the, um, the trip, the journey that he made with these uh, survivors was, um, was unbelievable. I mean, he had to listen to stories from these Holocaust survivors And he had a witness two births on the ship. Um, He interviewed the crew as well. Um, It was a 25-year-old captain who had done this before on other ships. The crew were all volunteers. They were not chosen. They were volunteers who just had a mission. And that mission was to just save these survivors and get them to their rightful homeland. Go ahead, Elliot.
1: So my... My father, as I said, I was a small boy, but he did tell me about this as we got older. And for him, uh, the motivation to do it was a journalistic uh, reporter, as a reporter. But it it, it definitely made a very big uh, impression upon him, and uh, he became a really hardcore Zionist uh, over the years. And he would express that to me about this journey and this trip, and I never was really read the book in Yiddish, so uh, this was really enlightening for us. It was sort of uh, if, as you read further, you'll see that it it um, it was a clandestine operation by both the British and the Haganah, and it was really cloak and dagger. Uh, they would not disclose the ports. Um, that he mentions the European ports, but we know now that it was Marseille and Corsica and, uh, uh, Sardinia and Genoa and, uh, you know, and then moving there. But at that point it was uh, very, very secretive. And they were very, very uh, scared to give too much information to a journalist.
0: Right.
1: Because it could would disclose to the British well where these operations were taking place.
0: Um, so were these dispatches sent back and published? Uh, how did the volume come about?
1: The, the, uh, I think he sent them weekly by telegram or however they did it at that time. And they were articles that appeared in a series. And subsequently after that, he decided that this was such an important story. As I said, it was a pretty big event. Uh, what was going I, I,
2: also, I also think that um, uh, he was adamant about having uh, this publicity get out about how the British were treating these so-called unjust illegal immigrants. Uh, they, they even called my father illegal because he was traveling with the refugees. So I, I think he wrote this, uh, these installments and he wanted the newspaper to print them because he wanted the world to know. What the British were doing, it was important for the publicity to get out there. Yeah,
1: in all was, in all fairness, there were some very very uh, uh, sympathetic Brits, but the the policy of the government at that time was to operate and capture these ships and blockade them from entry to Israel.
0: Um, What do you remember about your father? writing um did he write at home did um what was the sort of world that he inhabited in terms of other writers and and um also yeah. journalists
1: yeah so my father um uh, came as uh ruth said from uh palestine uh his family migrated to palestine as he and he was a young boy 15 or 16 from poland and uh then wanted to be a Yiddish writer, but because the languages in Palestine at the time were primarily Arabic, Hebrew, and English, there wasn't a big opportunity. Conversely, New York was the center of Yiddish for the world, and it was growing. All the publishing, the papers that had far reached the, the theater, this is a lively Yiddish theater etc so he came to uh new york and established himself as a writer and during that time uh he developed uh different um styles of writing some of his some of it was news reporting some was his opinion pieces some was editing in many cases he would do staff writing under a pen name because it wasn't worthy of his uh which i understood he had a very large circle of friends uh, who were also um, artists, people, artists, theater, theater people, uh, Yiddish writers. Um, one of them I remember coming to our house in Brooklyn was Elie Wiesel. He came to the house and my father, I think, was instrumental in getting him his first job uh, in, as a writer. So. He had a very wide reach and was very prominent in that day and age.
2: You, uh, you wanted to know how he did his writing. He was quite secretive about it. He would go into a small room, which was my bedroom. Um, the only time I was in it was when I went to sleep at night. But he would close the door and that was it. He was there for hours and hours, uh, except for the times when he went into his newspaper. And he would do all his writing in longhand. He did have a typewriter, a Yiddish write machine, which actually I donated to the Yiddish Book Center. Um, and my mother would do all the typing for him. But he would write everything in longhand. And of you know, course, he, the manuscript, she would type.
1: He used this uh, unlined yellow paper, and he had his favorite Parker 52 pen. <laughs> and that was his his life. You know, he would, he would uh, write... And one time, he took me to the paper, to the Tug, which you have uh, samples of the linotypes there, and he would show me the actual linotypes and his article that he wrote in on the yellow unlined paper and how it was being actually converted into print with the linotypes and the lead plates and actually in the printing. And I saw that press at the uh, at the Yiddish Book Center was really very very moving for me. It was a memory coming right back you know
0: yeah that's a pretty great thing for um a kid to go to go to work as it were with with your parent and and to sort of see the magic that makes it all happen yeah and i love the story about his um
2: using your room ruth um yeah and you know it um When you asked me about um, do I remember anything, and uh, when I was 10 years old, all I remember is my mom was hysterical, crying, trying to get my father home. She went to the American consulate, and um, I I was scared. You know, I thought he wasn't coming back. I mean, she was hysterical, my mother, because I guess she realized how they were treating him. Uh, He was treated horribly, horribly. Did he do any?
0: Um, did he report on any other stories like this where he had to travel, or otherwise he was doing all of his journalism and writing from home?
2: No, he... um, well, he was doing most of it at home, but uh, no, he didn't. He, he never uh, did another story like this. This was an eyewitness account. Um, most of his other stories are all fiction, and he was very, um, much interested in doing um, biblical stories. And uh, there are a lot of reviews about how prolific and how prosetic they were. Um, as a matter of fact, we were, I once met Ellie Wiesel at a 92nd Street Y, and I went over to him after the uh, talk that he gave and told him who I was. And does so he remember my dad? And he said, Of course. And the, the most thing I, the most beautiful thing I remember about your dad was that he wrote the most beautiful biblical stories and um, they were called historical novels. So. Elliot, uh,
0: when you were here, did you, I I remember um, being introduced to you in among what we call the stacks or the repository, which is also part of our Unquiet Pages exhibit. And Rochelle Grossman, who is our bibliography and collections manager, was uh, sorting through and finding you books, yes?
1: Yeah, she was great. Uh, apparently, some of them wound up in the rare book section uh, in the vault. Um, some of them were uh, in the regular section. Um, she explained a lot to me that I didn't know, which was really great. For example, a lot of those books were published in, uh, in Yiddish in Buenos Aires, they were translated to Spanish and Hebrew. Um, there was it was a center for Yiddish publishing at that time, and uh, my father obviously took advantage of it. They were they were listed there. Um, w- we see that there were more that actually there were more books that we have that are not there, and I'm going to make sure you get them. So, oh. yeah.
0: It's- so,
1: yeah. What
0: was it? like for you to read this book in translation
1: to me it was uh an overwhelming experience because i as i said i i hadn't realized uh the style of writing that he had uh, as you described that one paragraph it's very visual uh it's colorful you envision and actually what's going on and it's very smooth and flowing Uh, that's quite a feat because you know translating from yiddish as you very well know is a difficult thing. It has a certain flavor and, and timing that, that's completely different from English. So uh, it was great. I was, we, we got all enthused about it, and that's why uh, we're talking so much. Matter of fact, we're, I've just finished having another translation done of a book of short stories that my father wrote about life in Palestine among Arab, Arabs and Jews, Prior to the state and creation of Israel, and we're we're going to publish that very shortly as well. It's called when on the it, scaffolds.
2: Yeah, when when I uh, read the translation of this book, I uh, I saw a part of my father that I never knew before. He was uh, part of him, you know, was just uh, another another person he was not that expressive, you know, when, when we knew him in person, but his writing is so beautiful and so expressive and so creative and so imaginative. And, you know, it's prose, it's, it's beautiful, but this, this opened up my eyes a lot. And, you know, it, it was, it was really, really very touching, you know, to, to know my father in a different light, really. I, I, I would
0: imagine your father would be overwhelmed to know that you got this done in translation. Hopefully, hopefully knows. And 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 there's something in the reading that you um he really brings the reader into each one of these scenes. And there's a you know, I don't know, it gets um it got my pulse going um, because it's intense um, and it's real and it's descriptive. As you said, I think, Elliot, um, it's very um, visual um, in, right. in, in the telling. And I think you found a really wonderful translator, as we know, in, in Daniel Kennedy. Um, yeah, we did. Great. great. Yeah,
2: um, I'm doing a, a book talk. They're interviewing me for uh, a chapter from Hadassah. Mm -hmm. And um, it was going to be a a luncheon and they decided because of COVID, it's not going to be that way. So it's going to be filmed and uh, it'll it'll be done the end of the month. And we've gotten requests to do other, you know, talks about this book. Uh, It's really an eye opener. A lot of people don't know what the British did. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: They really don't. It's, It's a very important part of history.
0: And and before I let you each go, I wonder if I could ask you um, each, if there's one passage or section, something that resonates with you.
2: Well, um, I I think the passage that resonates with me and brought tears to my eyes was the one or two paragraphs he wrote describing what happened when he saw his mother for Mm -hmm. the first time in 10 years. um, That brought tears to my eyes. It, uh, and that's all he wrote was just one or two paragraphs. He couldn't go on. It was too painful, for, you know, for his mom to see him that way. Mm-hmm.
1: For me, I think one of the things that really stood out was his ability to interview people. And, you know, the, the Jewish people, the survivors that were on that boat came from all over Europe. And they all had different cultures, really. They were Hungarians, they were Polish, they were Russian, they were German, they were, and they all had different, and the common bond was the Yiddish, that was the link that put them together, but each one had a different flair and a different feeling, and, you know, a lot of complaining between them, you know, how Jewish people can be, and he captured that, and uh, I, I sort of read it and thought I was standing right next to him while he was interviewing these people. And to me, that was fantastic.
0: I want to thank you both for taking time and for introducing us to the book, which is Illegal, Jews Part the Sea. And I hope I'm getting your pronunciation correct, Samuel Isban? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, The book, I believe, is available in our bookstore, which is shop.yiddishbookcenter.org online or drop by the Yiddish Book Center, uh, and it's in our book and museum store. Um, Thank you again. And is it available in other places as well?
1: Yes, it's Barnes and Noble and uh,
0: Amazon
1: uh, Amazon and Apple. uh, E-book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, thank you again. Um, I look forward to your next work in translation. And Ruth, we look forward to welcoming you here and Elliot to welcoming you back so thanks again for taking time and for your work bringing this in and translate out in translation
1: Lisa back. thank you so much for your uh, consideration and it was a pleasure to meet you and and all the staff there I look oh. forward to seeing you again
0: well thanks an important an important story well told again for our listeners illegal Jews part the sea take care and talk to you soon again thank Bye. you You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit yiddishbookcenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.